just again for the visitors, we've been doing a series out of Ephesians for the last four or five months, maybe longer now. And we've now arrived at Ephesians chapter 5, which is this famous, famous portion about marriage. And I, I, I do want to say I'm glad that we've arrived here after the Mark Gungor marriage seminar. I'm glad that we've arrived and we've laughed a lot together. <clears throat> and I really do want to just share these things this morning, not from the point of view of trying to achieve perfection in our marriages, because I think um, certainly my experience is that marriage is one of the best grounds to practice forgiveness in your life, over and over and over again. It's one of the most uh, wonderful environments to, to experience forgiveness in your life, is with your spouse, over and over and over and over again. And so I just wanted to begin this morning by celebrating marriage. How many of you here have been married for less than five years? And uh, just put your hands up. Less than five years? Okay, great. How many of you have been married between five to ten years? Beautiful. How many of you have been married ten to fifteen years? Fantastic. How many of you have been married fifteen to twenty? That is a beautiful thing, eh? And how many of you have been married more than twenty years? That, that is to be celebrated. That is. It's delight. It's a total delight. And I want us to celebrate marriage this morning. I want us to celebrate relationships. Next week we're going to talk a little bit more about relationships. So if you're not married this morning, please um, don't let that stop you from hearing what I'm going to say because I feel like these things are keys for our whole life. Relationships are things that we experience with husbands, wives, children, employees, employers, friends, family, and we've got to get more skilled at our relationships. Would you agree? And so what I want to call this this morning is grace for marriage. How many of you know that you need grace in your marriage? Yeah, my wife has need, she's needed extraordinary grace for the last 17 years. But that's a good thing. We've learned a lot from each other. So I want to begin by celebrating marriage, and I want to begin by saying that this, what I'm going to say this morning comes in the context of all that Paul has said in this letter. And remember last couple of weeks we had a look at being filled with the Holy Spirit in a constant, ongoing way. And Paul says that if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, there should be some evidence in your life. And one of the evidences in your life about being filled with the Spirit is, is that you can get on with other people. Remember, that's what he said a couple of weeks ago. Well, that's what I said on his behalf. <laughs> and this is still ringing in my ears. Um, Chris, can you just take some top end off, please? So I want to say this. We, we all need grace in our lives. We all, we all need grace in our marriages. And we all want grace to be extended to us, don't we? Um, particularly as we sometimes fall far short from what our spouse desires or what we desire of our spouse. And I believe that as we come into line with what God has in terms of His, His uh, authority in our lives and we submit ourselves to Him and we start to work together rather than opposing each other, I, begin, I believe that grace begins to flow in an amazing way in our marriages. And there is a reality that if we want grace to flow, then we need to put some things in order and some things in place. And that's really the heart with which I want to share this morning. It's not with any other motivation, all right? And so if you can go with me to chapter 5, Paul writes and he says this, and I'm going to pick up in the second half of one of the verses. He says, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your husbands. Okay? Now, I want to lay a particular emphasis, and I think it's vital that we do that before we even talk about wives submitting to their husbands, because this is what 
Paul is trying to say. In verse 21, there is a Greek verb which talk, it uses its submission. It talks about, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that verb is carried over to the next sentence, which then says, wives, submit to your husbands. And so it should read more like this. Submit to one another, wives, submit to your husbands. And my point is simply this, that we're going to talk about marriage this morning. There is a mutual submission that God desires for the whole of the church body. And that's where Paul is starting. He's not starting with wives, submit to your husbands. He's starting, you, all of you, under the Holy Spirit, every single person in the body, be mutually submitted to one another. That's the starting point. And it's vital because it's a theme that occurs through the whole of the New Testament. So Paul is saying that wives also, that husbands also need to submit to their wives, in a sense. He's saying there's a mutual submission. It's not just a one-sided equation, gentlemen. It's not a one-sided equation at all. There's a mutual submission in the body of Christ in all of our relationships. That's what Paul is saying. That's where he's starting. And we need to start there. Absolutely. And this idea of mutually submitting to each other is found in a number of places in the Scripture. I want to, if you want to turn to 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Peter writing and says this, Likewise, you that are younger, be subject to the elders. Submit yourself to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you. It's talking to the whole body. All of you, with humility towards each other, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So he's saying to the whole church, under the Holy Spirit, you submit yourselves to each other. I love Romans 12 verse 10. It says this, Love one another with brotherly, brotherly affection, outdoing one another in showing honor. I want to be part of a church that's like that. Outdoing one another in showing honor to each other. In a genuine way, honoring each other. Young honoring old, old honoring young, husbands honoring wives, wives honoring husbands, children honoring parents, parents honoring children. That's what Paul says the church should be like. It's a delightful thing. This is not a one-sided equation, ladies. And gentlemen, I want to say to you, it's not a one-sided equation for your chauvinism either. Philippians 2 verse 3. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourself. <laughs> Paul writing to the Philippian church, saying, okay, now this is, I want you to get this. All of you, consider others more highly than yourself with humility, consider others more significant than yourself, and lead, let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind amongst yourselves which is yours in Christ. Amen? This mind of considering others more highly than yourself, this humility that we need to clothe ourselves with, this comes from the life of Christ inside of us. Amen? So the underlying thought that's expressed in all those three verses, which is really the same thing that he's saying in Ephesians, he's saying this. He's saying that we all need each other. He's saying no man is an island. He's saying no one is an individual that can just live for themselves and die for themselves. He's saying in the body of Christ, we are one body, 
How many times hasn't that image been used? We are one body. We need each other. The eye, the ear, the hand, the nose, the foot. We all need each other. So consider others more significant than yourself. Don't presume that you are the head. There's only one head. His name is Jesus. We might, I might be a big toe, but then I'm going to be a good toe. I'm going to be the best toe that I can be. Amen. So, for the church then, surely this means that pride and superiority over others is completely unacceptable. And that means that in terms of relationships between men and women, relationships between people from other cultural backgrounds, Chinese, European, Jamaican, Guatemalan, whatever it is, you consider others more highly than you consider yourself. So their pride and superiority in the church is not considered an option by Paul. He's saying, no, this is not a gift of, this is not evidence of the Holy Spirit when you consider yourself more highly than others. Where there's a humility, you consider other more highly than yourself. Amen? So, every one of us has a responsibility for our own faith. We are all called to walk our own walk. We are all considered to walk with faith in terms of how we relate to other people. I cannot walk on your behalf in terms of how you relate to other people in the body of Christ. That's your responsibility. It's your walk of faith. I can preach the word and say, this is what I feel like the word says. But all of us have an individual walk that we walk out with Christ, led by the Holy Spirit. All right? And we are submitted to one another out of love for Jesus, out of love for his church, and out of love for the glory of his church. We are submitted to each other. And later on in the chapter, we're going to look at it next week, Paul even talks about slaves and masters and how they should work work together, and employees and employers. And he says there's a a whole new way of life for you in, in the church. And it affects everything. This is a spiritual community. There's appropriate behavior for a spiritual community, and and this is one of those areas that he gets specific in, in terms of our relationships. So all of us come from different backgrounds, different cultures perhaps, and perhaps in our cultures and backgrounds we have different things that we've inherited in terms of how men and women should relate to each each other in, in marriage, and I understand that. But I want to say, I think there are probably some men in this room that don't need to hear, submit, wives need to submit to husbands. I think there's some cultures that are so male-dominated that they don't need to hear that anymore. They need to hear, love your wife with all of your heart. I think that's fair, gentlemen. We've got to cop some things on the chin. And perhaps you're a lady here this morning and you've come from an abused background. Perhaps you've been married before and your husband was not a particularly nice man that you wanted to submit yourself to. I understand that. But you see, that's... This is the challenge of preaching expositionally from the Scripture, is that actually I've got to say what the Scripture says. I can't get around it. And there are some words here that perhaps, because of your background, you might feel uncomfortable with. One of them is submission. (laughs) Perhaps the other one is the word head. The husband is the head of the home, as Christ is head of the church. Well, we're going to look at some of these things. And I want to say it again. Men, submission in your marriage does not make an excuse for your chauvinism, your dominance, and not allowing your wife to have a voice. Amen. Wherever the gospel is preached, wherever the gospel is preached, women are liberated to be free under grace to be who God intended them to be all along. That is the truth of the gospel. If you look at the history of of the nations of the world where the gospel is preached, slavery is is broken, uh, abuse of women is broken. 
where the gospel comes. It liberates people and sets them free. And I, I want to say my prayer for our church, this community, is that every single marriage would be a liberated marriage where women are free to be who they have been called to be under grace and they are liberated by their husbands to become all that they can be. Amen. And that you take your role in this church, whether you are a leader, a worship leader, a preacher, that you would rise to be what God has called you to be under grace with the gifts that you have regardless of your gender. Whether you are a man or a woman. That's the grace of God. It liberates all people equally. So ladies, you put your heads up and you strut your stuff and you be who God has called you to be. Amen. So I, I want to trust that we would see in this community a growing sense of joy, a growing sense of liberty, that everyone can be who they've been called to be. It's freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen. So that's the background. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, no, there's a mutual submission. And then in that context, he says there's a specific thing for ladies. And he says, those that are married, he says, in that context, ladies submit to your husband. And he says, children submit to your parents. So there is this mutual submission, but he's not saying that, that husbands are to be submissive to their wives. He's not saying that parents are to obey their children. He's not saying masters obey your slaves. There's a flow of authority that Paul is talking about here, and it is a leadership issue. And he's saying, this is how authority flows in your home. Okay? Granted that we are all mutually submitted to each other. The interesting thing for me is that Paul says this, he says, ladies, how I want you to respond to your husband is like the church responds to Jesus. There's a willing submission of the church to the headship of Jesus. It's a, a thing of the heart. You cannot force it, but it's there. Jesus is the head, and the church willingly submits itself to the headship of Jesus. And ladies, Paul says, I want you in the same way to willingly submit your heart to the headship of your husband in the home. No one can force that. It's either given or it's not. And that's the specific way that he says it's expressed within marriage. And I want to say up front, that doesn't mean that my wife is less gifted than me. In some ways, she's far more gifted than me. Doesn't mean she's less able than me. She isn't able in her areas, in her areas of her life that I am quite unable. It doesn't mean that she's less intelligent than me. I think probably if we took an IQ test, I would find that I would probably come second. It's nothing along those lines. It's not about superiority in, in relationship. It's about teamwork in relationship. And that's what Paul is saying. He says there's this team that exists, husband and wife together. The husband is the team leader in the context of all that I've said about mutual submission. And that's also the way that we lead in the church. It's a, model, it's a picture for us of how we lead in the church. And Paul simply carries on and he says very simply, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he, submitted, and he is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ. And again, it's, it's good to look at the way that the Greek works there because that verse is actually better to translate like this. As the church submits to Christ in everything, so should wives submit to their husbands in everything. Okay, now, you, if you're a lady, you might just immediately, when I say in everything, you might go, <gasps> I can't do that. It's so dangerous to say to someone, you must submit to your, your husband in everything. 
man, that is just like, whew, that is too hard. I agree. I think it is an extreme statement that Paul is making here. But I just want to comfort you, ladies, to say this, that as we look at the second half of the chapter, you'll see Paul has some extreme requirements of men as well. They don't, they don't get off the hook. All right? And here's one of those words that we, we can't avoid. Headship. It means ruler. It means leader. That's what it means. It is what it is. We've got to work with that. We've got to make it applicable to our lives so that we can get our marriages to be filled with grace for each other. All right? I think simply all it means is that a wife is called under God to follow her husband and to take his lead. It doesn't mean she doesn't have a voice. It doesn't mean that women in the home walk around like little mice without any opinion about anything. Or, no, I've tried to say, I believe women are liberated into the fullness of who they're meant to be under the gospel, in the gospel, by the Spirit. And surely that means our our relationships with our, our wives as well. It simply means that the final responsibility in their home should be the husband's. And I want to quote Michael Eaton, because I really value his opinion. He says, this does not mean that he has the only word in the house, but it does mean he has the final word. The difference. The difference in terms of hearing someone's heart and opinion and considering it and then making a decision. Yeah? So Paul saying this, he's saying there's a willingness on the, on the, on the part of the wife to acknowledge that. And to regard what she, how she in, works with her husband in the same way as she would have obedience to Jesus. Now, that, that is, that is the, that's the amazing thing. <laughs> Paul is saying, no, ladies, wives, you do this not because your husband deserves it, but because you are doing it as unto God. I don't deserve it. I, I've... I've blown many things in my marriage of 17 years. But if Helen is doing, if Helen is, is, is um, submitting to my authority because I deserve it, well, then I'm on a hiding to nothing because I don't deserve it. But if she's doing it because it's unto the Lord, then there's a different motivation. All sports teams have captains. All Industries have managers that manage industry. Marriages have husbands. Churches have leaders. And I want to ask a question this morning. is Why should one form of leadership be seen and thought to be seen to be wrong, but in every other area of life, leadership is seen to be necessary? There is leadership in the home. I want to quote Eaton again, Michael Eaton. He says this, Absolute equality of leadership position is practiced nowhere. Absolute equality of leadership position is practiced nowhere. Why should the Christian view of marriage be an exception to what is recognized everywhere? Teams need leaders, even a team of two. Teams need leaders, even a team of two. The point is simply this. If the husband, the father of the house, doesn't lead... You don't need in your family, someone else will. <laughs> someone else will. It might be a kindly grandmother. It might be a friendly uncle. It might be someone else. But someone will lead, Dad, if you don't lead. Someone's going to. 
And I, just in reflecting of this, have been thinking how many problems in our society today are not the result of abdication of a father's role and allowing someone else to lead. How many problems don't we have in society because fathers just are not there for their families? And I want to say, it can be expressed in a variety of ways. It can be expressed in someone putting their career above their family and being so absent from the home that there's no authority in the home and mom has to become everything. Or a man refusing to deal with an addiction. And so he'd rather be addicted to drugs or alcohol and not put things in line in his family and he abdicates his responsibility. Yeah? The other extreme, that's absolutely devastating for any family. The other extreme is a man is so uh, dictatorial and so aggressive in his um, authoritarian rule in the home that that also destroys a family. So what I'm saying is that there is a tone that Paul is saying is necessary in a home. It's a tone of love. It's, it's, it's a, in a sense, it's indefinable. It can only be given from the heart, willingly. It cannot be forced. And he's saying, it's a home where Jesus is the center, really, and our relationships are flowing through him, the head. And he goes on, he says, Paul says, Christ is the head of the church, and saviour of the body. Saviour of the body. I want to say to you gentlemen this morning, that's a big clue for you and I as men in our homes. And if we get this in our, if we get revelation of this, then maybe our wives would also be happy to submit willingly in terms of headship in the home if we too become the protector and saviour, as Jesus is the protector and saviour and head of the church. That's what it says. So I'm saying there's a huge responsibility for us as husbands, just as there's a responsibility for our wives to willingly open their hearts and say, okay, I will defer to you on these things if we are leading as Christ intended for us to lead. There are some conditions. I want to say there are some conditions in terms of this thing of husbands submitting to their wives in everything. I mean, wives submitting to their husbands and everything. The first is this. If your husband is asking you to sin, you don't listen to him at all. The Bible's quite clear about that. There's a portion in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, where Peter's getting up and defending himself in front of the Sanhedrin, and he says, no, no, no. He says, we will obey God rather than man. When your husband is asking you to do something that is sin, you don't, you don't obey him. There's a higher law, the law of God. It's the law of the word, not the law of the word, but it's the um, authority of the word in your life, all right? So I'm not saying you throw your brain away at all. The other, the other word, the other question that's often asked is, should a wife willingly submit to a husband if he's not saved? Many relationships are like that. That's a very good question. And actually, the Bible says yes. <laughs> 1 Peter 3, you want to go there, the first six verses, it says... Um, Wives, likewise wives, be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, if some men are not saved even, they might be won without a word, but by the conduct of their wife, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be in the hidden person of the heart. We looked at that phrase a couple of 
months ago, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah bade Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. It's amazingly challenging, isn't it? It is incredibly challenging. I want to say it's impossible without the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely impossible. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, all right? Every single one of us. And so the answer is yes. Should wives submit to their husbands even if they're not saved? Perhaps some of you are in relationships like that. Yes. The wife is not called to autonomously act in anything. She is called to consider her husband's opinion in all major decisions. On the other hand, Christian husbands shouldn't stifle his wife by his insensitivity, his stubbornness, and his unwillingness to hear. Gentlemen, sometimes our wives are very perceptive, aren't they? They are a gift from God to us. They are a gift from God to us, gentlemen. <laughs> they are. Thank you, Petri. What did uh, Mark Gungor say? He said, be kind to the girl. Be kind to the girl. Be kind. Similarly, I want to say to, to the ladies, I want to say this. A wife shouldn't submit to a husband on the condition that he is sensitive to her. <laughs> or as sensitive as she hopes he will be to her. Because then we are on a hiding second to none. Because I am not always sensitive. I am quite unsensitive. And if Helen only submits in our relationship on the condition that I'm sensitive in the way that she wants me to be sensitive, I'm going to miss it nine times out of ten. And that's not going to help either. So there is the sense that from your hearts, ladies, you give it willingly as unto God, not because he deserves it, because most of the time he doesn't, quite frankly. <laughs> okay. So I want to just say, and I'm going to ask Helen to come and just share some things, because I thought, you know, it's all very well for me, a man, to say, this is what the Bible says, and I'm doing my best to take the Scripture and preach what the Scripture says. But there are some things that Helen might want to say that are also good to hear. Because she's on the other side of the relationship, isn't she? She's had 17 years of me. She's had 17 years of actually having to, in a sense, work this out with me. So she's got some revelation that perhaps I don't have. <laughs> so I'm going to ask her to come. But the, the basic thing I'm trying to say, ladies, is that this issue has got to be settled in our hearts. There is a basic authority structure that Paul says needs to be in place in marriage, and it's a picture of leadership in the church. And the first part of the equation is submission, and now we're going to look at the second part of the equation, which is applicable to the husband. And guys, prepare yourself, because Paul has some very straight things to say to us. Eh? And uh, we've got to hear it. So, Helen, would you like to just come and tell us what you feel? But I, I, do, I do think that submission is probably one of the most... Um, misunderstood and abused words that we can have today, and it is a very contentious word. And I think um, one just has to look back over the last 200 years of our history and see how um, so many things, so many people have fought and died for um, equality, for 
for slaves, where for the abolition of slavery, that people would be treated with equality in that way. We, we can only look back at the suffragettes who suffered so many inhumane things just for women to have the vote and the right to work. And um, I think of the abolition of child labor in this country that wasn't so long ago, um, where there wasn't even equality for children. So people have fought and died for equality and emancipation of, of so many people. And that's why I think Paul was quite radical in his day when he declared that there's no Jew, nor Greek, no slave, no free, no male or female, for all are one in Christ. That was really quite radical in a time where, where women's roles and slavery and everything, there was not much equality in society. And I mean, and sadly, also in many parts of the world today, we still don't see equality in, in a lot of those areas. But um, I just think it's really amazing. If Paul said that we are all equal before the cross, why was it that he spoke into this area of that we are submitted, to, we are to submit to one another, and specifically to wives, um, that we are to submit to one another? So um, I thought that maybe I could share with you my personal wrestlings in coming to terms uh, with submission in my own life, in my in our marriage. And, uh, and I thought of maybe as I was thinking about it, I was, I was thinking of what, I, what I've come to understand what submission is and what it isn't um, for me. And I'm sure there's 50 things uh, I'm missing out and 100 things I still have to learn. So, and I also think that when you, as soon as you begin to share on this, you think, oh, gee, just wait next week. I'm going to be tested on everything I say. These things are going to come up. But I, I just, the first thing I, I just felt I've learned in, in my relationship with Ant is that um, something of what he said earlier is that submission doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to be my own person uh, with my own identity and dreams and my own opinions and perspectives because I have a lot of those. And uh, I just think that that's not what submission is about. It's not about being squashed and feeling like you can never express yourself and be yourself. I think that there's a lot of false legalism and religiosity that's come into church. And in my life, I've certainly lived under those things where I've not allowed to be fully me. And some of the things that, one of the things I think God's really taken off is this thing of, even as a pastor's wife, having to be a model to everyone else. And I think that's pukey. I think I, what God's called me to be is to be Helen and to be the best Helen I can be. And I hope that that blesses everyone. But uh, I, just, I just believe that God wants us to be women that can live and be free to be who we are. And so submission is not about crushing people. It's about freeing women and, uh, and each other. And then I thought another thing for me that submission is, is submission does not mean that we have to agree on everything. And uh, if you had to come into our home, you probably, we have a lot of hearty discussions and debates and, in our, between us. And we are always talking about everything and wrestling things out. And I think sometimes, for me, submission is, for the sake of unity, you have to agree to disagree sometimes. Because um, I think the attitude of submission is that um, you value something greater than winning an argument. It's a, a submission is about actually valuing the relationship more than your rights in that relationship. And that's something I've had to learn, that sometimes I think actually for this marriage and for this love that we have together, 
actually submission means I don't need to win this argument. And um, I can actually just put it on the back burner or I can just lay it down because there's something more important here. And because uh, I really believe that if we do believe it's in the context of mutual submission, then it is about a give and take. And sometimes it gives to me and sometimes I take and sometimes I give in to him and he takes. That's the way it works. It's mutual. There's a give and take in relationships. So I don't, I just think that that's what for me I understand by submission. And, um, and then Another thing I've been learning, which I don't think I always get right, but submission is means that you don't always have to have the final word or the last word. So when you've had your discussion and then you go up the stairs and go, I'm right, and you just mutter under your breath. Uh, that's something I, of my journey, that I don't always have to have the last word and have to be right. Um, and then I, I really think the thing that I've also learned is that submission is also about trusting God. And uh, sometimes Ant and I might disagree and we might see things very differently. But I've realized that submission isn't about going on and on and on about your cause or your point of view till you so, till I wear my husband down and he's just like so drained and he finally gives in because I've just gone, until I get my way. And uh, that's not submission. And because uh, what I've been learning is that if my cause, or my perspective is really valid and important, then I need to take it to God. And uh, I've got to let him vindicate me and defend what I feel is important. And, you know, the power of prayer to change, if that is something that is of God, he will do it by his spirit in a way that is most powerful. And when we wear each other down by our nagging and our insistence, it's just destructive. And uh, and I think that we can be, start manipulating by... Um, withdrawing or being sullen. And I, I believe, for me, what I've learned is submission is an attitude that is produced by faith in God. It's saying, God, I trust you. If this is important, you will bring this thing about. And it's not about me going, to get my way. And so that's also what I've understood submission is. It's about trusting God. And then I've just got a couple more things. Um, I feel I've had to learn that submission is about being able to say sorry and to keep a short account. Um, So often uh, when when my heart is not submitted, I'm just like, "Mm," and I bring up something from somewhere else. And I just, that doesn't build a relationship. It's, it doesn't, it's not an uh, edifying thing. And then, and this is another thing I've when we were first married, we were, this was kind of drummed into us as some teaching that we had about something of what Anne said, that uh, being married is like playing on a football team. And there's, there's a captain of the team, but every player has their part. And the captain doesn't always have to score the goals. Sometimes the other person scores the goals. And, and I think that's the exciting thing about marriage. Anne doesn't always score all the goals, and I don't always score the goals, but there's a sense that the team wins or loses together, and that's what it's really about, submission. So I've, I've, I've been learning that um, submission is about being a good team player even when you don't agree with the game plan. And uh, the captain is saying, we're playing the game this way, and you go, well, I think this is a better strategy. Um, because we, I realize that I don't have dibs on every angle and perspective that Ant has. And so sometimes he does see things that I don't see, and it's also about learning to trust someone else's judgment, just not just my own. 
And um, anyway, I think a really good captain listens to the perspectives of everyone on his team, and he weighs them up, and then he makes his call after that. And I think that's why we need to learn to trust each other. And then I've just got two more, if you can... Is this okay? Well, we're going too long. Okay. Um, um, I think for me, I've also learned that submissions are is about roles rather than value. Um, and uh, I, I find this, this has been my personal struggle is I, I do have a leadership gift and, and a role in many spheres that God has opened up for me. And in that sense, I do have perspectives and ideas that are important. But also in the end, I know that my husband needs to make the final call on things. And after I've said everything and I've given my perspective, I need to pray and trust and I don't feel less valued in that. And I appreciate that there's a heavy burden and responsibility on my husband that he will shoulder. And I can either blow wind in his sails or I can be like a chain around his ankle just saying, that's not how I would do it. That's not how I would do it. Or I can just be someone that just really helps him and blows wind in his sails. And then finally, um, I think that for me, submission, what I'm learning is about patience and humility. And um, I was reading a little thing about something Billy Graham's wife said. She was driving along um, this road, and there were a lot of roadworks, and there was construction all the way along, and it was slow, and it was tedious, and there was piled up of traffic. And at the end of the roadworks, there was a little sign that said, um, construction complete, thank you for your patience. And uh, she said that she wanted that on her gravestone. And that's what she does have on her gravestone. Construction complete. Thank you for your patience. And uh, what I've really been learning is that submission is about having patience with the construction process in another person's life. And uh, that we have to be patient with each other because God is at work in, in them and, and in us. And I suppose the other quality is humility because just as much as God is doing something in someone else's life, he's doing work in your own life. And so you, submission is saying, actually, I'm humble about things because actually I've probably got a few planks in my own eye when I try to take the specks out of your eye. And uh, I'm not perfect, and I need to give grace because I really need grace in this marriage. That's what I've learned. Thanks, Sarah. All right. So that's the one half of the equation. Have you got another 10 minutes in you? Because we've got to say some things to the guys now. <laughs> and guys, you know, Paul's very straight. All he says to you and to me, he says, we have to be Jesus to our wives. That's it. There's, in this equation, uh, your wife submits to you, but actually your responsibility is to be Jesus to your wife. <laughs> and he says... Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And so as soon as Paul starts talking about husbands and their role, he starts talking about Jesus' love for the church as the comparison, saying, this is what I want to speak to you about. As you love your wife, it's like Jesus loves the church. And then he unpacks it a little bit. And so he's saying, for us as husbands, the one that we to kind of aim at is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the one that we are looking to emulate, in a sense, in our lives, as we love our wives. Um, that's a hard call. How many of you husbands feel like Jesus to your wives? 
I, I don't, very seldom. But that's what Jesus is saying. He wants me to, to aim at, at least aim at that by the power of the Spirit, not trying hard, but letting God transform me so that I can become Jesus to my wife. That's what he's saying. So, I mean, there's all those images. Uh, Jesus gave himself up for the church. He was a sacrifice for all because of his great love for us. Jesus was the, is the husband of the church. He came looking for a bride. He's, uh, he came as a bridegroom looking for a bride. He died so that all that was required by God might be, be fulfilled so that sinners like you and me could be cleansed and become part of his bride. And that's, that's the image. That's what Paul is saying in Jesus didn't re- reject his bride, his church, because of imperfection. He did all of this, all of this, because he wanted to sanctify the bride. And for once and all, for all time, make the bride special, have a special place for the bride, being special to God. And there's an amazing uh, chapter in Ezekiel chapter 16, and I just want to read a portion for you from there. And if you want to go there, that's great, because it uses this image of being washed. And uh, Paul later says in the, in, in, in the Ephesian passage, he says, we, wa- we wash our wives by the water of the word. And, and this is where the, the image comes from. It comes from Ezekiel 16. And it says in Ezekiel 16, it's talking about Israel. And it says, as for you, at your birth, on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water or cleansed to, clean, to cleanse you. You weren't rubbed with salt. You weren't wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field where you were abhorred. And on the day you were born, and when I passed by you and I saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, live. Amazing. It's a picture of what Jesus did for his church. I said to you, in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew, and you became tall, and arrived at full adornment, and your breasts were formed, and your hair grew, and yet you were naked and bare, when I passed by you again and I saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness, and I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. Beautiful picture of Jesus and what he does for his church. I bathed you with water, I washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk and adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain around your neck and I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty and your renown went forth amongst the nations because of your beauty for it was perfect through the splendor that I bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. Amazing. That's the picture of what Jesus does for his church. And he washes us continually, and he's, he's making us perfect and sanctifying us, and we will become a perfect, beautiful bride one day. And we are all in this process of sanctification. And God says he washes this washing that he talks about consists of us being washed, washed by the word. And that's the, the whole gospel. The whole message of the gospel comes and washes us and transforms us and changes us to be more and more like Jesus. And 1 John 17 says, the truth will set you free and you will be free indeed. Yeah? It's the truth that sets us free. So, husbands, man, this is, the, this is impossible without the Holy Spirit because what Paul is saying to us is that we are to love our wives in that way that he's just 
Ezekiel has just described. And that way we are to love our wives. Giving up everything for them. Laying down our lives completely for our wives. And that's not possible apart from the Holy Spirit. Man, that is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. And what does Paul go on to say? He says, well, actually Jesus is preparing a pure bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, blemish so that God can present her pure before, before him. And in that sense, Jesus is, cons- is consumed with the future of his bride, what his bride is going to become one day, the fullness of what his bride will come. And Paul is saying, husbands, in the same way, you are to be concerned with the future of your wife. You are the protector, you are the provider, and you are, he goes on and he makes it specific, he says, you are to love your wife like you love your own body. He says, no one's hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are, member of, we are members of his body. So what is he saying? He's saying, look after your wife, just as you look after yourself, you protect yourself, you feed yourself, in the same way you do that for your wife. You are her protector, her provider. Paul is simply saying your wife is part of who you are. You are one flesh. You can't damage your wife. If you damage your wife, you're damaging yourself. And that's the way that Jesus feels about his church. So guys, this is a high call. This is incredibly, profoundly high to be Jesus to your wife. He says also that we also to love our wives above our extended family. And uh, he says, in, um, he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife and the two shall become one flesh. In other words, when you get married, you've got a completely new set of priorities. There's a completely new family that is being birthed and you put your wife above everything that was before. I love family. But sometimes when you visit family, it can be more destructive than constructive. Have you, any of you experienced that? Sometimes your life can just be consumed with meeting the needs of family. And actually, the kernel, the, the thing that God has given you as your new family is neglected. So I'm not saying we ignore our family, but I am saying <laughs> that the new family that God is birthing takes priority of, over what has been before. That's what the Scripture clearly says. We leave our father and leave our mother and we cling to our wife. And uh, we've just had a, a week of uh, my one son being in, in Germany on an exchange, and Jesse being out for most of the week doing various things. And it was, it's, for a lot of the time, it's been Helen and I. And I just said to her the other day, I said, my darling, this is what it's going to be like when the boys leave in a couple of years' time. We have a short time together, don't we? And it's to be enjoyed and appreciated. But at the end of the day, a man leaves his husband, and leaves his husband, leaves his family, his father and his mother, and becomes one. This new unit that God's created. And I think as we ponder marriage, we can learn great lessons about wisdom. We can learn about how God sanctifies us and how the, pro- the process of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And like I said before, I think, I think marriage is the hardest and toughest environment to work out godliness. <laughs> it's easy to be nice to people you don't see very often. Easy. It's hard to live with someone and be nice to them consistently. <laughs> it's true. And your spouse knows you best that they can hurt you the most. That's why it's a place where we practice forgiveness and learn to be generous and learn to let the grace of God flow in our lives, not hold grudges, 
not given to manipulation. What did old Mark Ungo say? And I'm finishing now. He said, um, he quoted uh, Paul. He who gets married will have many problems in this life. Isn't that true? And they used that funny illustration from Proverbs where he talked about uh, you can't have the strength of the ox and a clean manger at the same time. Remember? He said, well, what is important is the poo quotient to the positive quotient. In other words, you can't have the strength of the ox without poo. No one likes poo. Every marriage is going to have some poo in it. But the poo to positive ratio is the most important thing. Now, for some of you who have offended that I said poo, forgive me. But that's exactly what the Bible is saying. You can't have one without the other. There's going to be problems, but marriage is the most beautiful place to work out those things in your own life. Amen. And so Paul concludes this little portion. Oh, the other thing I wanted to say is, um, he says, it's also an, a way of understanding the gospel, marriage. Paul says, it's the mystery of the gospel. You understand something of the mystery of the gospel in your marriage. And that is, as we understand grace and we understand the gospel in our lives, it's a mystery. that we. Uh, and even that word mystery means we have to think about it, dwell on it, let it sink in, over and over and over again, think on these issues because it is a mystery. That means you're not going to understand it all in one go. All right? And some of the guys that have been made 25, 30 years, perhaps they have understood something more of the mystery than those of us who've only been made a shorter time because you have to just walk a road together that much longer. And then he, Paul concludes, and he just says this. Two points in summary. He says, Husbands, uh, he says, however, let each one of you, of you love your wife as yourself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And as I was just looking at this passage, you know, Paul really only speaks about two things. Very, very simple in terms of marriage. One is love and the other is submission. That's all he talks about. Two things, love and submission. And the point is for husbands, love with all of your heart. Be Jesus to your wife. What he says to wives is, give your heart away and submit to your husband as he loves Christ. And for me, the, those two things are very simple, but they actually, they actually are the key to the whole thing working. The wife allows the husband to lead. He's the chairman of the marriage, if you like. The husband is a man of love. If he is a man of love, it's going to work. It's going to be a beautiful thing. It's not mean there's not going to be any problems, but if there's a basis of love and he's giving himself away in love, it's going to work. And if the wife is a team player, it's going to work as well. But if those two things are ignored, if they are ignored, if they are disobeyed, I think everything becomes undermined. And then actually, when things go wrong, we don't have a starting point to rescue anything because there's not a basis that is understood. So I put it to you today that that is the simplicity of marriage. That is the mystery of marriage. That's a picture also of how we work in the church, mutually submitted to each other, loving each other, honoring each other, respecting something of the flow of authority in the church that God has, and that's how grace is released into our lives as we give space for the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out, and we love each other as Christ loved us. Amen?